2: wait is finally over. Football's back. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. For instance, maybe you want to take the Redskins to cover the spread against the Ravens. Maybe Dwayne Haskins can get it done. But everything from game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. There's always the online casino as well. It literally never closes. So head on over to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great signup bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, welcome to this week's Believe in Wizards podcast. I'm Matt, joined as always by the one and only Larry Hughes. Larry, what'd you think of Game One of the NBA Finals?
1: Uh, man, it was a beatdown. You know, definitely tuned in to see some good basketball, man. But you know, just being real. I mean, I kind of expected, you know, what the Lakers did. I mean, I kind of expect that to, to be status quo, for real.
2: I said Lakers in six uh, online. I wanted to be public with that prediction, but LaFour is looking a lot more likely. I, I think maybe they get one, but uh, now it's it's apparently uh, looking like Bam Adebayo and Goran Dragic are doubtful for game two. I don't know if you saw that, but that's uh, that's going to make it pretty tough, I think.
1: Oh, no, for sure. For sure. I mean, they just lack... Size and size was going to be a problem when you your best, the best two guys on the Lakers team is, is the size that you know that you cannot deal with. So it was going to be tough.
2: I saw a couple of, of the ESPN analysts specifically saying that they thought the Heat were by far the best matchup for the Lakers. That was surprising to me. I actually thought Boston made a little more sense because it seemed like there were more competent and different bodies that you could throw at ad you know a lot of their points are about uh daniel tice is too small for ad but like i don't know i just felt like the defense he played for most of the the playoffs it just the celtics were different so i i thought between brown and tatum even smart some you had bodies to throw at lebron and and i don't know who from the lakers would necessarily guard kemba particularly well so i just thought it'd actually be a better matchup because they're so different.
1: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to agree a thousand percent with, with Boston being a better matchup, especially on paper. Mm-hmm. So, right, we got we to gotta say sure. a, a better matchup on paper because size can obviously start to match up with size, and then you can look at the wings, you know, having two explosive, aggressive wings, you know, playing on both ends of the court, and uh, Jason and, and Brown, that's where the, the matchup
2: comes for me just with the injuries and stuff like that and and how it might sort of derail what should be a good series, it reminded me a little bit of of your guys' Cleveland-San Antonio team. You know, they were just the sort of older, more experienced veteran team, and you guys were a little younger. It was kind of the first real deep, deep run for that team. Plus, uh, you know, you got hurt. That that made a big difference on the team. Do do you see any similarity there and how that might play out?
1: Well, definitely waking up this morning and hearing uh, the torn plantar fascia.
2: Yeah.
1: I mean, definitely dealt with that, you know, in the Eastern Conference finals and then did as much as I could, you know, in the finals. So I definitely know, you know, how, you know, injuries play a huge part in, in just how successful you can be. I mean, and it comes with – it's part of the game, obviously. You know, those guys have been fighting hard. Uh, but it's, it's just part of the game But you hate to see, you know, guys go down to – to injuries like that. I mean, those are like the, the non-contact sort of injury where your body just just won't turn the way you need it to turn. And for me, it's, I, I feel, you know, I, I feel his pain, man. I I try to um, to fight through it. I play with the Novocaine or lidocaine injections or whatever they were, were using at the time. Yeah, and it, it's a body sacrifice. And if he wants to come back, you know, for that challenge, obviously, I don't believe he'll play tomorrow night, but again, we do a lot to sacrifice our bodies, man. So he may, he may decide to take a couple injections and and get out there and give it a
2: shot. For you, you didn't miss any games initially. You, you were able to try to power through for at least another week or two. Right. And does it get worse over time? Or is it finally just like, Hey man, I I can't keep limping around out here.
1: It it gets worse. It gets worse. And you just speak about the sacrifice and just being in the finals and, I mean, people, you know, understand and watch the game, but we do a lot to, you know, just to get out there to compete. For me, it was, it wasn't getting any better. Um, I was taking, you know, the injections to basically numb my foot, so I was really just running around, not knowing where my other foot was at, and I just thought it would be dangerous. You know, I, th- I thought it would yes. would have, you know, long term effects, which it did. Mm-hmm. But at the time, I was just willing to sacrifice just that little short opportunity to see if I could actually, you know, get out there and play, but it's, it's, it it only get better once you just sit down and and, and rest it.
2: I can't imagine a worse guy to have to chase around to. If you've got a bum foot than Rip Hamilton in an Eastern conference finals, like he literally never stopped moving. So that's an especially tough ask.
1: Well, I went, I went from Rip. uh, I went from, from Tony Parker, um, you know, and that was, that was going to be my matchup. You know, I was supposed to, you know, limit Tony from getting into the paint, you know, so much. I mean, that was a, a huge part of his game. Um, and the team was relying on me to, you know, keep a body in front of him and, and keep him out of the paint and stop him from getting so many layups. But, I, you know, the body, I just I just yeah. couldn't do it. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's just part of, you know, the part of the game. That's part of how much, um, you know, we sacrifice and how much we're willing to fight.
2: I, they also mentioned during the broadcast that previous injuries with Bam Adebayo he uh, hasn't had shots for it. Cause he's afraid of needles as someone who is a big wuss about shots themselves. I, I can relate to that, but that's got to make it extra tough. Like you just said, as much as you have to power through, especially at this point in the year, and that seems even tougher with the two days rest, you, you probably can't get through that otherwise. Right?
1: No, I don't think so. You know, I don't think so. And I had no idea on what, the shot was to, you know, to to alleviate the pain or to numb the pain. I wasn't, you know, fully aware of of all of that. So I'm sure these guys, you know, they're not completely aware of, you know, what needs to be done or how it will affect them or, Mm. you know, will it give them enough relief to actually go out there and compete the way that they want to? Or, you know, should you rest another two days? Will your team give you enough time to do that? So you're kind of juggling a lot of trying to get a quick fix, but knowing that there's never really a quick fix, yeah. but just, you know, it's a once in a lifetime opportunity. Like mm-hmm. you, you don't know if you're going to get this chance um, to compete again in the finals. So, you know, if he's scared of needles, I think uh, this would be a time where you say, you know what, is his mom, you know, mom, you know, hold my hand.
2: Yep, Whatever um, you got to do.
1: And whatever you got to do, let's, that's, that's, that's rock and roll. At least we got to give it a shot
2: especially as well as he'd been playing to that's that's you know really tough like Drogic is a little older it's a little closer to the end of his career they also have someone Kendrick Nunn that can kind of semi-replace some of that but I just can't see Kelly O'Linick filling the the Bam Adebayo void well enough to give them even a chance in game two but maybe I'm wrong
1: yeah they they were already searching for size I think with the Lakers throwing Mega Man out there and Dwight Howard just is going to wreck shop on on everything. They were already going to need to 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 bring another live body against uh, Dwight. So this going this is going to put them, you know, a little bit further behind the 8 ball.
2: I'd seen a couple um, you know, comparisons to this being like the Pistons Lakers finals and and maybe Miami can kind of do what what the Pistons did. I think people kind of undervalue how good that Pistons team was. I mean, just just as somebody who played against them, you know, at their peak, and it took, you know, you playing on one leg, LeBron had like that monster fifth or fourth quarter. Like, I don't know. I feel, it feels like a slight to the Pistons to me.
1: Yeah. I think it it just, it takes more talent than that. And, and, and the Pistons had a lot of talent and they were all on the same page. And, you know, this Miami team, this is a, this is a new situation. Uh, They do have young guys, uh, these young guys have been tested in college, and you know, in that prep uh, space. But the pissing guys—they were traveled. I mean, they were tested. They were, you know, they were guys that had some, you know, some cut to them, you know, and they were they were ready to to go. Now, these these Miami the Heat guys, I mean, they look a lot like you know those tough teams, you know, that played you know in those those late two thousands.
2: Yeah, they, they've got a lot of guys that you know are stars in their role and stuff like that, so so that's interesting. So the other reason why I had the that Lakers team on, on the brain, I'm sure you've seen this on all the ESPN shows lately, but uh, ESPN's Jeff Perlman just released a book called Three Ring Circus about those, those LA teams with Shaq and Kobe. And in one portion of the book, they talk about how they desperately wanted to get rid of Glenn Rice and apparently got really close to trading for Philadelphia's Larry Hughes. Were you aware of that at the time? Like, was that a thing that anybody talked to you about? I, I didn't remember hearing that as a fan, at least.
1: Somewhat. Somewhat. It was it was Shaq, and I had a little relationship with Shaq. Mm-hmm. And he was always trying to get me to play, you know, on teams that he was on. Like, he liked what I did, you know, as a basketball player. And I'm sure that that's, that's part of it. Uh, but like you said, it never really got wings. But I, I, you know, I did hear that.
2: Would you have wanted that at that point in your career to go be be a third guy with those two?
1: You know what? I'm not, I'm not sure. You know, I'm not sure because I was, you know, obviously a a, a young guy and was looking for the opportunity to play more and to, to make a name for myself. So that would have been interesting. I mean, winning cures a lot of that because I was, you know, traded out to, to Golden State, where we didn't win, um, so you never know. Like there's a lot of these backstories that a lot of general managers and you know that they have that sometimes the players are unaware of it, uh, sometimes the public had no idea. But that's that's definitely one that I remember kind of coming up. Glenn Rice is actually Jeff Wexler is is his agent also. He's my agent, mm-hmm. so there that's where the the connection was, you know, in, in that scenario.
2: Glenn was tough too, man. It just, I think it was one of those fit kind of things. And I think they definitely could have used what what you brought to the table too. I, yeah, I, I just never heard that. And so I was reading through this book and I was like, oh shit, I wonder if Larry, you know, was aware of that at the time. Like, I, I would think everything you just talked about is what would run through your head, but like a dynasty kind of thing like that, I guess that would have been first championship year, maybe. I can't remember what year that would have even been, but that's that would have still been a cool prospect, I think.
1: Yeah, that's 99, you know, going into 2000, you know, going into 2000, 2001.
2: So the other LA team made a little bit of news since we we talked, you know, after they kind of bowed out sort of weirdly in that last game against Denver, we were speculating that, you know, something probably had to have gone on there. And now Doc Rivers is out. So that probably points to that, I would imagine. Uh, Is that him burning a bridge with one of those guys, is that just, Hey, we need a different voice. What do you think that actually means?
1: Yeah, it's probably just, you need a different voice. I mean, you've added, you know, a couple stars, you know, in the game, you've added them to your team. You've, you've competed against them for a number of years. No telling what you said about, them. I mean, it's just a lot of stuff that goes on uh, when things go bad, when you're winning, you know, obviously things can, can be, can be walked over. Um, so I would, you know, there could be anything, you know, and it's hard to speculate, but you can definitely see the disconnect because I thought Doc was saying all the right things mm-hmm. and the players just wasn't executing on what the right things were. So, I mean, who can you hold accountable uh, in that situation? I think Doc is going to always say, it's on me. I, I, I believe, you know, I've watched Doc coach for a number of years. I believe Doc would say it's on me and, you know, the decision, he's going to get another job. At, at the next turn. So it's hard to speculate on what, you know, what kind of things went on, especially, you know, how the, the season ended.
2: There've been a couple of reports that came out that said Paul George had multiple verbal spats with teammates throughout the postseason and citing in their exchanges, a lack of accountability from George in the postgame locker room on Tuesday night before being eliminated. George was preaching to teammates to remain committed. It was after they lost for, to remain committed and for all the players to return to the team in the offseason so they could stay ready to make another run. It was met by eye rolls and bewilderment by some, sources said, because George did not back up his words with actions. That doesn't sound great to me for Paul George's prospects there. I'm not saying they'll trade him, but you're not endearing yourself to teammates if you sort of fall flat in the last game and then tell everyone to take less money to come back.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what's, what's going on with, with Paul George. He's actually, you know, told us that he's been dealing with uh, some issues and some, some mental sure. mental health issues. So we have to understand that as well, um, that there is something going on. We've never known Paul to back down to any challenge or to, you know, not come out and, and give 110% and compete as hard as he can. Uh, we, we haven't known that. So there's obviously something going on with Paul that if they don't get it figured out, then the team is not going to be successful as they can be, because that's a person that he's hard to move. I mean, especially at, at this point with the contracts and everything that's going on. I uh, mean, as much as you've given up for him, I mean, you got to stick it out at least two years. Right.
2: I just think that's a bad sign for guys like Montrezl Harrell coming back. You know, I don't know that he was one of those players, but it's hard to advise other people. I would think, or count other people's money and be like, Oh, you need to come back. If we're not going to give you the same deal you get elsewhere. I think that you just don't have the same credibility i guess would be my take
1: yeah he knows the game right i mean he he knows the game i mean there's there's essentially uh you're weighing for, for these guys there's a lot of money at stake i mean there's a pot of gold at stake and then there's the ability to to make championship runs and you think of these guys that, that play these these hybrid positions or these guys that are successful for like we talked about two straight years or you know going into three straight years the amount of money that they're looking for is huge. It's huge, but you have to weigh that against the opportunity to win sure. and what's going to give you the, the best value. Um, and Some of these guys are going to take the pot of gold at the end because they're not the name of a franchise or the name of a league. It's, it's tough to tell those guys not to get all they can get.
2: I do think he makes a strong point. It seems like continuities become really undervalued. You've seen a lot of these teams that, that did make strong runs. It's because that core has been together. Like even Denver, they're young, but they've played together for three or four years now. It made a difference, I think.
1: Yeah, you, you got to start off bad, right? And then you just have to go all in with yeah. your salary cap and then your, your, luxury, te- your luxury tax. Yep. That's the formula- Like you have to be bad, you know, because you got to get some of these good draft picks, yep. you know. and Team-friendly
2: deals for young guys.
1: Team-friendly, and then once you hit and you got that window, you got to throw it all at the fan. Yep. And that's, you know, that that's really the formula because it's hard to keep teams together now uh, with the salary caps being so wide because somebody can give a guy $15 million more than what even makes sense.
2: Right. Yeah, the, the team that came to mind – thinking through that for me was Philly. You hear a lot of like, do we have to break Simmons and Embiid up? It took a lot of really good duos a couple years to get it together. I just think if you have, you have to get the right pieces around them, uh, would be my take. Why not give it a, another try?
1: Yeah, I mean, they're paying guys a lot of money other than those guys. Like True. those are not the guys that you should be talking about breaking up. It's <laughs> what you're doing around those guys. You give a guy 34 million, you give a guy 20, like those are the problems because now you can't, Mix and match. Now you can't maneuver from year to year. You have your main guys. Is that you You paid Horford all of this money. You paid Tobias all of this money. Now you don't have any room to to mix and match what you're doing. Now you're talking about blowing up two of the, I mean, they're good talents. I mean, if Ben Simmons is going to eventually learn to shoot the ball. But to break those guys up and to see them separately is, is, a, is the league's, I mean, that's advantage to the league.
2: I would think so as well. And we mentioned Doc Rivers and somewhere he might end up. The new rumors that he's going to end up in Philly, maybe by the time we release this podcast, that'll be a thing. Do you think that fit makes sense?
1: I think Doc's a good coach. And if Doc has the energy to go out, you know, day in and day out and continue, obviously the players are, are, are getting younger, uh, but it, Philadelphia is a good situation of, of veterans of, of, that have been seasoned. I think you know. I think it's a good fit, just because Doc is a good coach, and I think he motivates and pushes in the right direction. And then again, you're moving uh, back to the Eastern Conference, when where I think it's it's pretty wide open. If you can get some structure, you can get a, a style of play. If you can get some good uh, players within your, your your system, I think you have a chance. And that's all you can hope for. I think as a coach and as players, you know, to have a chance. So that could be a situation where Doc. I think Doc walks in immediately and has a chance to, you know, do what we all want to do, and that's compete for a championship.
2: It seemed a little bit like, you know, Brett Brown is kind of being tuned out by the end, and I just feel like Doc is somebody that would kind of command the respect of Embiid and played, played a similar role to Simmons as a guard, you know, a distributor and a defender, and maybe that just sort of helps with, with those two guys in particular, I would think.
1: Yeah, I think Brett Brown, I think it was Two years too late. I mean, I I think that you know it was two years too late. I think they had an opportunity to move on because I think it you know it it wasn't a good fit for you know for me, and I think they could have done better you know up until this point if they would have had a different voice.
2: It's just hard to be the same guy in the same spot for that many years. Take them from a rebuilding team like like you talked about that progression. It's it's almost never the same guy that that starts that that ends it, and I kind of admire them for trying for a while. But like you said, uh, this year it just Clearly was, was one year too many, at least. Uh, the last thing I want to talk to you about real quick, Larry, is just Scotty Pippen recently came out and said that he doesn't consider the bubble to be NBA basketball. Uh, it's not the hard grind. It's not the travel. It's not the fans. It's not the distractions. Really, to me, it's pickup basketball. Prime example, I looked at Rondo. Rondo ain't made three-pointers in his whole NBA career. Now he's probably a 50 th- 50% three-point shooter. What do you make of those comments?
1: I mean, life is different. Life is different. I mean, you go to the grocery store. There's less people in the aisles. I mean, less people get a chance to go to work. I mean, it's it's just what we're you know it's just what we're dealing with. But I think it's it's good basketball. I think it's good basketball. I think you eliminate a lot of the things that are the add-ons. I think you eliminate you know some of the bias that goes on when teams have to travel uh, into another team's city, you know, into another team's arena. Referees have to hear, you know, other fans and things of that nature. So I think there's some value to it. Um, I think there's a financial hit to the owners because you don't get a chance to have these nights, these great nights that these guys are having. Um, but I don't see it as as you know gimmick basketball. I think it's a it's a focused it's a focused style of basketball. And what I think is is kind of we we overlook is that production is being piped into your television screen. So you're watching and you're hearing all of these things, but I mean, it's a, it's a natural, it's a, it's a basketball game. I mean, mm-hmm. these guys are having a basketball game and competing. Um, and then they're adding the entertainment value onto it. So I think it is pretty pure. I like to see fans, of course, I think it gives it, you know, another endorphin. I think it gives another energy level to it, but you know, I think it's good basketball.
2: I just don't know what the players are supposed to do. Like it's, it's sort of like he's taking away from what they're doing, but the, everybody's playing under the same conditions. Sometimes you see these playoff series where guys have three, four nights off in between around or, you know, travel between games if they're far enough away, like this every other day is, is its own kind of grind, no matter if there's travel or not, but everyone's playing under the same conditions. So I just, that was why I kind of discredited that comment as like a grumpy old man, just sort of having to have, you know, have an opinion on it, I guess. All right, I think that's the end of our sort of uh, NBA Finals recap. Hopefully, we'll have a couple of good games <laughs> to talk about and the series. will still be going on by the time we we air our next episode. Right now, we're going to pivot and bring on our second fan correspondent here, Jishnu Perihella. So, when you uh, when we come back from this little mini break, you'll hear Jishnu with us. Uh, right now, folks, we're we'll back with Jishnu Perihella, our second fan correspondent. So. Jesner, this is your opportunity. Fire away. Ask Larry your questions, and uh, let's have fun with it.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, mainly, I want to talk about like the Wizards' like season outlook, like off-season plans, and like kind of expectations for next season. So, like, uh, what would because I saw we had about like thirteen to like fifteen million dollars in like cap cap room, and I don't know what that's going to look like with uh, with the pandemic and how that's going to affect financials, but. I think re-signing Berton, they said, was like a high priority, but I want to know what you think of maybe Berton's doesn't re-sign here, maybe start trying to sign for like veteran depth at Big Man specifically. Like there are guys like Nerlins Noel, Aaron Baines, Jeremy Grant types. I want to know what you what you guys think about that.
1: Well, I, I think we're looking for talent. You know, I think we're looking for talent and not necessarily to, to fill a spot, right? And I think Berton's is, is a good, you know, name to throw out there and hopefully – we, we get him resigned because of like you said the things that are going on with the pandemic. Everybody is you know is, is unsure of what's what's in store, whether it be salary cap or whether it be guys interested in moving uh, from different you know you know state to state. Is there a better state to be in versus another state? So I think a lot of things will, will factor into yeah. that. That's a great name to to start with, and then obviously you have the draft, and and there's always good talent within the draft. Um, you have to see how that's going to go. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Matt?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan of him. I personally I'd love to see him in the starting lineup next to Wall. I just think that that makes them both more dangerous. But obviously there's a there's a price point for everything. You know, obviously having his bird rights helps, so Ted's willing to open the checkbook a little bit. I, I'm I'm all for it. I think Jeremy Grant's a name you hear a lot with the fan base. Uh he he played pretty well for Denver for most of that series. So he may have played his way out of the price range for the Wizards, so someone like that makes sense though. <laughs>
0: Yeah, because Bertans is better than the guys I listed, and also just like we're—it's such a need for talent that having Burtons, especially with Wall and his ability to like find open guys and, and shooting is such a high commodity. But uh, my next thing is also the draft. Like there are a lot of, there's not a lot of, there's no like Zion or Anthony Davis or any like franchise-changing player, but there's a guy like that that are going to fill roles and fill talent guys. And a guy I really like is uh, Onyeka Okongwu from uh, Southern Cal. And I think he just fits so perfectly with um, with like defense and rebounding. He he's going to give you a lot, especially high motor guys. And like Bam is a little un, a little a little bit of an unfair comparison, but I think I think the play style more so. He's going to give you a lot on defense. He's going to give you a lot with rebounding. Or if we don't trade up for him, maybe get a guy like Sadiq Bay or who I watched a lot of in in uh, in Big East play. I'm a I watched a lot of Georgetown, so. What do you think of you guys? Do you think maybe we should trade up, or do you think we should maybe kind of stick with where we are?
2: I definitely think somebody like a Kongwu makes sense, but I don't know that I, I would be willing to trade up necessarily. You have so few draft assets, and packaging the thirty seventh pick in a weak draft—well, a deep but not top heavy draft—to mm-hmm. move up a couple spots seems like a a tough move, in my opinion. But if the right guy's there, and you have somebody clearly on your board, and and he's better than everybody else, I, I think that. Then you consider any option at that point.
1: Yeah, I think that talent is there's, there's going to be talent within the drafts. So I don't think you trade to move up. And again, you know these guys have been gone. I mean, they didn't get a chance to to have their you know their March Madness. So you haven't seen these guys in you know six months. And and that's I think that's going to be huge because of the amount of development that can happen uh, within that time is, is going to be key. So the conversation that we're having about you know how we last viewed them you know in college it's going to be different than how that player walks into a, you know, to an individual workout. Uh, these players obviously know that shooting the ball is big. I mean, it's key. So without being in school, I mean, hopefully these guys have been working on shooting the basketball, but I think there's talent within the draft. It's just a matter of where,
0: you know, where, where they fall. What would be the bar for a successful season? Like at what point do we, can we build for like, for a playoff run, but also kind of develop our young guys because it's gonna hard, It's really hard to do both. And if there's, if this goes south, then we might have to, like, blow it up. So, like, what would you guys think would be the bar for a successful season?
1: I, I think it's about competing. I think it, it really is about how we compete and, and how, if, you, if you're a fan, and, or, or, are they passing the, the eye test? Do they look like they're rotating? Do they look like they're committed to winning? Do they look like they care? Because anything can happen during the course of the season. I mean, you, we see that now. I mean, we have Miami, uh, the Heat, in the finals. So, you know, as far as what a successful season looks like, it's building. It's building. It's setting a foundation now. We have a new general matter, so it's, it's building, you know, that culture that we talk about. And it, it won't just happen in one year. So you have to take a look at are these guys really committed to being a wizard really committed to being in the area, really committed to winning. And then I think that that can give you a better understanding of of, of who's coming into the organization, because those are the guys that we want to follow. Those are the guys that we want to root for. So I don't think you look at it as being a, you know, if we're not, if we don't win 35 games, you know, next season, then it's a complete blow up and it's a complete wash. I think you have to gauge it by exactly from game to game and, the intensity of which the players, you know, want to compete and they want to they want to be there
0: for sure. Yeah, uh, I think it's also like setting a tone with culture too. like, I think john and Brad have to be those people, those players to lead the young guys as well because they've been here for I don't know, over like eight, eight to 10 years now and they're, they're not like young players anymore.
1: Yeah, they've experienced they've experienced the playoffs. They've experienced winning. They've experienced losing. Um, you hear Bron talking about it today, his experience is 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 the best teacher. As, especially within this game. I mean, because those guys have seen what it takes to win and they've been a part of what it takes to lose. And you can you can identify those things. So hopefully uh they're willing to to identify
0: what it takes to
1: win and then they'll they'll go for it.
0: For sure, yeah. Um, I also want to talk about uh, last night's game. Uh, I thought I, I initially my, my gut, my gut feeling was that the Lakers were eventually going to win in six games, and Miami was going to make it super competitive. But then I just talked myself into Miami winning in six, and then I quickly saw in the first half that that was that they just looked completely outmatched. But um, yeah, I think I think uh, I think with like the zone defense, it just clearly was not working, and that's and the Lakers just have the ultimate zone buster in Anthony Davis. So would you think that Miami would should scrap the zone or maybe try something different?
1: Yeah, well, the zone confused me from the beginning. I mean, the first few mm-hmm. quarters, it was okay. But I think Boston allowed Miami to play a zone, and I don't believe it it worked against Boston. I think they just allowed <laughs> them to, to take them out of what they wanted to do. And I don't think the Lakers are going to do that. I mean, they're they're – LeBron is too smart to allow them to put two people on the basketball and for them to not get something good out of it, whether it be an open three-pointer, a drive to the lane, or a foul, because the players around him are good. I mean, they, they, they have talent. Uh, so I think yeah, you you have to play you have to match up with, with size against the Lakers. Um, Miami's going to struggle with that because of the size that they have on their roster. Um, the guys that they got injured last night. Uh Bam is, is obviously one of the key big guys. That's a killer. That that's going to that's going to that's gonna hurt them big time. Uh, so I don't see Miami, you know, having a having a real chance. I mean, is it a gentleman's suite where after back, you know, every other day, the Lakers may take a a, a game off just to get revved up to celebrate? I mean, that that could possibly happen. I mean, I I I've seen it seen that happen. But I don't give the heat much of a chance to win. Definitely the
0: yeah. yeah, I agree. I mean, especially with Dragic possibly being out the rest of the series, too. Like, he's so important to them offensively and with ball movement. And I personally love Tyler Hero. He was my favorite player in the draft. And watching him in the bubble was, has been awesome. And I, my Twitter account has basically become a Tyler Hero fan account. Yeah. But just I, – I, I don't know. It's asking a lot of him to run the offense, especially at 20 years old. And he's a very talented player, but he's – I find it hard and I hard to believe that he would nah, be the he,
1: he's, he's way too loose with the basketball. He is. He's his handle is not. Basketball and, and if he gets anything going, you put a guy like Rondo on him and mm-hmm. it's, it's over. So yeah, he, I mean, he is a talented kid and he's, he plays at a great pace, Uh, but I would not put that on him right now to try to,
0: <laughs> you know, to organize and get his team in the spots where they need to be. For sure. Yeah. And I think, I think, it was it was it was going to be hard for the Heat fully healthy, but I think without their without Bam and Dragic, then it's going to be tough. But you know that's just the type of talent that like the, the Lakers have. Like you know you you're you're gonna you're gonna be able to win championships with LeBron and Anthony Davis on your roster. That's what they say.
1: I've heard that. That's why they pay those guys the big bucks.
0: Yep.
2: <laughs> yeah, they're they're earning the paycheck for sure. Jeshnu, thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate this. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I hope you enjoyed the experience and uh like to encourage other folks to to enter to do the same. Rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. And hopefully we'll have some more wizards basketball to talk about here before you know before we know it.